Bonjour, comment ça va? Je m'appelle Dave. Allô, je m'appelle Matt. My French is terrible. Too bad, because today we're going to be talking about a French person. Well, I mean, I like froggies, but, you know, my, my knowledge of their language is minuscule. <laughs> but anyways, that's not what we're here about. <laughs> Well, first, welcome to the podcast. I'm Dave. This is my co-host, Matt. Or maybe he's he's Matt and I'm his co-host, Dave. I don't really know. Is there a hierarchy here? I don't think so. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put one up. That, that would just ruin things. It's just, uh, it, it's like Matt with really big letters and then Dave with really small letters right next to it. Yeah, well, you know, that happens sometimes. Never mind that. <laughs> and this is the Making It All Weird podcast. We start our podcast by talking about a, a topic, academic or something else, and uh, just topics, yeah. Well, yeah, just topics, damn it. Yeah. We're a very topical show. Yeah. Not like ointment. Anyway, fucking, you know what I mean. Exactly. Doesn't need that much explaining. And then we um, respond to questions that people have we're basically an advice show with other stuff tacked on who cares okay yeah i think too hard about this what's our topic for this week oh why can't i fucking good lord here i go shit in the bed on uh my uh on the name there but uh it's uh, a french philosopher and good lord if i can remember his name it would be great it's lacan lacan jacques lacan yeah, we're going to be talking about subjectivity, kind of, and uh, yeah. So I sent Matt uh, two videos from a YouTuber named Plastic yes. Pills, who's actually he's fairly great. new, and he's really good. Yeah, pretty good, yeah. I like him. But uh, there's all there's the sub basically like the mirror stage, you know, subjectivity, and uh, also <laughs> the real, which is very real. <laughs> once you get into it, it will make you feel certain ways about life <laughs> so to give some context basically i encountered uh jacques lacan's work maybe 10 years ago mm. and at the time i was going through a really bad breakup mm. now my mother is a psychoanalyst and she's a freudian psychoanalyst but she also does uh, mostly a psychotherapist right but she is characterized as a freudian psychoanalyst yeah and she deals with something called object relation theory uh, and ego psychology although i think in the past 20 years or so her her stuff has just been more like cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff like that not a lot of people actually do psychoanalysis anymore yeah i was gonna say <laughs> like the cognitive processing is more kind of uh relevant nowadays i'd say but she never she never studied Lacan and she never studied Lacan because Lacan was French and French psychoanalysis is still Freudian, but it's a lot different than the other branches of psychoanalysis that developed pretty much in, in the United States, South America, Germany and um, and Britain. Mm. And it came from Lacan doing a very, um, very unique reading of Freud. And because he was such a like narcissist and big personality, he, <laughs> he dominated the French psychoanalytic scene to such an extent that he's what became known as French psychoanalysis. And then 
the International Psychiatric or uh, International Psychoanalytic Association, the IPA, banned him <laughs> for for numerous reasons. Um, so France was pretty much in a world of its own when it came to psychoanalysis. Nice. Now, when I say ego psychology or object relations, that comes down to a uh, an interpretation of Freud and then an expansion on that um, from his daughter, Anna Freud, uh, going over to Melanie Klein, and then Otto Kernberg, and Heinz Kohut. Kohut? When, uh, Donald Winnicott, yeah, who was British, and, and, and a lot of others. Right. To to even touch on Lacan and um, the 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 plastic pills video, which um, I don't know, I guess I'll link in the description. Yeah, that'd be good. Over over ten years of like reading this stuff and reading other stuff in order to understand Lacan, um, this was the first thing that actually made it comprehensible to I think a beginner, if that makes sense. Uh, so watch those plastic pills videos; they're very good. I'm going to try and and do that like my version right now, mm. <laughs> I would say, but uh, I'm absolutely certain that it co- will come off pretty much incoherent, <laughs> which is you fine. It's still, somebody. it's still, it's still, I do this for fun. This is fun for me. Um, you and the, the link though. Yeah. The, the reason that um, I came across this and I was, I was like l- looking for it is because about 10 years ago, I went through this bad breakup and I was, you know, trying to f- quote, find myself and, and trying different things. Um, I got really into Buddhism at that time mm. and I was reading a lot. That's kind of just one of my mechanisms of handling stress and stuff like that is I, I try and find stuff out about, you know, how the mind works. Why do I feel like this? Right. And yeah, I ended true. up reading a bunch of self-help stuff, which <laughs> I found really bullshitty and stupid. <laughs> and I hated all of it. And it was just it, a lot of it scams, you know, pyramid schemes Axe. and stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, my mother being a psychoanalyst, I kind of figured, well, maybe there's something in that. Maybe I should go check it out. And I started reading Freud and I ate it up. I love Freud. Um and don't get me wrong, I'm not like Freud. I'm, I'm not taking Freud to be, quote, true, like <laughs> a priori or anything like that. It's not automatically right. It's more of a metaphor. And mm. I don't think it's scientific. And yeah. that's fine. I'm not trying to be scientific. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find like an explanation that makes sense. Yeah. So, so I read Freud, and from there, I was kind of like, well, where should I go next? And on one hand, I saw that there were like object relations theorists and ego psychologists, and I read a lot of that stuff. But I, I also encountered the name Lacan, but I couldn't find anything that really explained it very well <laughs> until, I, until I started buying his books or his, you know, so... <laughs> Part of the problem is that Lacan only wrote one book called Ecree, which is a culmination of his work up until the 1960s. And hmm. it is indecipherable. I mean, even now, I've read it and like, good luck trying to get something out of that. What a lot of, uh, that's basically what I got from uh, Plastic Pills, too, is a lot of people have a hard time getting their head around <laughs> Lacan. Much more comprehensible, though are his uh, lectures. Every year, he would do these lectures in um, Ecole Normale Supérieure, which is a school in France, um, first to train younger psychoanalysts. Mm. 
but then later it became much more of a philosophical philosophical thing and there are basically transcripts of these lectures um that are published you can go on amazon and get them um and they are incredibly good compared to his a cree which is trying to be a distillation of all the stuff in there the problem is that leconque can speak but he can't write (laughs) (laughs) it happens a lot so uh some people are just better that way so Lacan represents a confluence of four schools of thought, which is why he's between them. Like to any one of them, he seems indecipherable to the others. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's the problem. So those four schools of thought are Freudian psychoanalysis. Mm. There's Hegelianism. Oh, yeah. There's structuralism, in particular structural linguistics and structural anthropology. Mm. And there's phenomenology, in particular Husserlian phenomenology and Heidegger. Hmm. So as an overview, I'm just going to try and push through it as quickly as I can. (laughs) One, Freudianism. All right. Freudianism is what broke the Enlightenment's idea that man is a rational being in control of his, and when I say his, I mean his and her psyche. Hmm. Freud first started in... um, treating neurotics these were people who were hysterics but not hysteria in the modern sense where we say where it's a misogynist term this was actually an actual psychiatric disorder and it entailed people um losing control of different body parts where there was no you know physical explanation it was considered a neurological disorder essentially a a lot of people thought the people suffering from it were faking they weren't yeah but nobody could come up with an explanation um until freud started uh who was a neurologist learned from a psychiatrist or sorry a neurologist in france charcot who i I'm forgetting his first name, but he learned uh, this this procedure that seemed to provide these neurotics with some relief, hmm. right? Right. And he ended up doing this um, and treating a bunch of people. Um, and as the years kind of went on, he realized that he actually didn't need to hypnotize people anymore hmm. to to achieve this effect. All that he needed to do was talk to them and just talking uh, and not about not necessarily about what was you know bothering them you know specifically related to the disorder but just letting them talk for Mm -hmm. you know the the length of the session and so this this was the kind of birth of talk therapy so even the even people I'm, i'm very in one sense i'm very defensive of freud because a lot of people learn you know get this like knee-jerk reaction well everybody says he was wrong so i shouldn't have to <laughs> learn it yeah, everyone it like, just thinks he's all he's that guy oh he's that guy who who had you know theories about oedipal stuff it's like hey, not just that but that's all people hinge on to yeah and it's just like all right shut the fuck up first you don't you, <laughs> if you haven't read freud right get the fuck out you don't know what you're talking about um, because it is not, yes, he says it's a science because I'm sure he thinks what he was doing was a science. He most certainly did not think he was scamming anybody. Yeah. And I think there, there is, there is like an actual empirical element to this, which is the fact that regardless of like whether his explanations are factually correct, right? What's important for him at least was that 
they worked, right? They mm-hmm. ended up providing relief to neurotics who did see an alleviation, at least for a time, of their symptoms, which nothing else at that point was doing it. Yeah. If it works, fucking use it. That's my take. Yeah. So Freud, you know, first postulated that, uh, okay, well, there are certain patterns in what these people are telling me. I think that maybe sexual abuse is much more widespread than um, was previously anybody ever thought. That was his first kind of hypothesis. Hmm. But as, as the years kept going on and at the kind of dawn of the 20th century he, he had dropped that notion and came to finally postulate his notion of the unconscious the unconscious has existed as an idea before that nietzsche talks about the unconscious schopenhauer talks about the unconscious so the way that freud's unconscious works is that well uh, I'm getting i'm getting it's gonna take forever i'm getting too much into freud all right quick <clears throat> And I'm combining different models that Freud used. Okay. When you're born, you're an id, right? Your id is helpless. It has no ability to um, achieve what it wants. And that's all it really is, is want. It's uh, a source of drives, say, where it's either fuck, and I say fuck, but it's it is just love energy, libido generated outwards towards objects or aggression, anger, kill, hate, all of that. And that's um, who you are, uh, you know, at birth, essentially. Now, your ego. To this day. What's that? To this day. I said, to this day. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. So, so, so the ego develops on top of that uh, as this mediation between the id and the outside world. Yeah. Um, and this is the first thing that, you know, this is how you come to be able to represent objects to yourself in your imagination. So, mm. you know, we're talking about Hegel, you know, get into that. Freud didn't <laughs> study Hegel or anything. But the idea is like your id wants is hungry. So your ego comes up with all these images for it. Like, mm. oh, okay, sandwich. No, it doesn't want a sandwich. Okay, uh, Ooh, how yeah. about a, 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 I don't know, quesadilla? You yeah. know, presents an image of a quesadilla and the, and the, uh, it says, yeah, uh, you know, then that like lets flow of libido instead of aggression. Okay. And this is all like image, right? A baby can't actually do anything yeah. for itself. Can't make that image happen for itself. <clears throat> okay. So at some point in the infant's infancy, <laughs> let's say, <laughs> it realizes that it is competing for the mother's attention and affection with somebody else, which is the father typically. Yeah. Now, the mother for, you know, as far as the it is concerned, presence of the mother is really, really good, right? Full presence, sucking on the titty, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just, uh, this is great. And then when the mother is not there, it, the mother is all bad because now it's this <laughs> hallucinatory, persecutory mother. I'm bringing in some Melanie Klein. This is fine. It's just, this is just, quote, the theory. Okay. Yeah. A framework. Don't get tied up in this shit. Yeah, it's a framework. Could be a metaphor. Who knows? Okay. At some point, the infant realizes that it has to compete with the father or somebody else, just question mark, for uh, the mother's affection. Right. Father is pretty much all-powerful because father is an adult man and Mm -hmm. an infant is a little three-year-old, two, two, you know, one, two, three years old. So physically competing with the father is out of the the question. So at some point, um, well, and so the primal 
this develops a fear in the infant, um, the male infant, of castration anxiety, where because the man has the big penis and the infant has the tiny little penis, well, that's like yeah. the source of the power. So, you know, what the man represents metaphorically is the castration of the infant. So that is what, uh, what the fear is. Mm-hmm. In normal development, it the infant has to say, okay, um, well, if I can't beat him, I'm going to join him, essentially. Yeah. And starts identifying with the father, yeah. and that's what develops, your, you know, uh, what, uh, that's what develops personality and mm. the third kind of psychic element in this model called the superego. Mm. Superego is comprised of the ideal I, which is your self-image, um, but your self-image as you want it to be, not as you necessarily yeah. are. It's the ideal self, along with the ego ideal. And the ego ideal is are these part objects from your parents, your mostly your father, but you know your mother, any p- parental authority that is telling you not to do something, or assigning punishments, or is berating you, or something like that. Right. In normal development, this integrates with the ego ideal and the superego overall kind of think of it like maybe it's like a soup, right? <laughs> and it soups into the rest of the ego. Um, and that's yep. that's typically so, you know, eventually these things are like persecutory and you need rules and guidelines to direct your behavior. But as you grow older, you actually integrate these, you bring them into yourself. So this isn't somebody else telling you, you shouldn't steal that thing right now. It becomes part of, of yourself. Like you shouldn't steal that because that's wrong. It's, there's nobody telling you it's wrong. You just believe that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas when you're very young, you need somebody saying, don't do that. It's wrong. And that's typically your father or your mother or your parental authority figure. Mm -hmm. Now, um, neurosis, according to Freud, is caused by conflicts between the id and the ego. These are transference neuroses, this is obsessional neurosis, hysteria, things like that. Mm. Narcissistic neuroses are what we now know, what we now call personality disorders, are conflicts between the ego and the superego. Mm. And psychosis is a conflict between the ego and the outside world. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. that's just in general, that's Freud. Um, couple more things. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's, it's just something. it's just really hard. Okay, so <clears throat> it, it's complex, dude. It, it, so the the desire to kill one's father and have sex with one's mother must <laughs> be taken very metaphorically, but it yes. is that is your primal repression. That is that conflicts with your idea of self. You're a good person. So you wouldn't do that. Right. Yeah. In fact, you know, just think about yourself right now, having sex with your own mother and killing your father. <laughs> right. Conflicts with your idea of your, most people's idea of themselves. I would yeah, say. I would hope so. <laughs> and so like realizing that you have that wish in the first place is so horrible that you repress it. It cannot come yeah. to light in your consciousness because it, it conflicts intolerable. It's intolerable. So you, that is your first repression. And that's what creates the unconscious. Mm. And then throughout the rest of your life, whenever you have a, an impulse that conflicts too, too greatly with this ego ideal or sorry, well, either the ego ideal or ideal. I, you repress mm-hmm. it. Yeah. What, 
what a neurotic symptom is, is the pressure of those unconscious impulses exerting themselves um, back up. Mm. You didn't think the thought, but you still want to think the thought. You still want to realize um, what the impulse behind that thought is. It doesn't go away just because you've repressed it into this unconscious. So one way to do that is, say, a parapraxis. A parapraxis is a Freudian slip. (laughs) So if I were to say they're a Freudian slit, slip <laughs> right like that's that's an example um because what it means is um and it, and and you would do that those are like closer to the surface too right because you're not really yeah. repressing like the idea of vagina in your mind yeah right that doesn't necessarily conflict with who you are but maybe you know getting horny right now is not a great idea not to not to my best advantage right so i'm just going to suppress that so it's just going to be right like right on the surface Mm. right and so and then it becomes very easy then when it's something's on your mind to have a freudian slip and say something uh that you didn't mean to say right um dreams are another way that these unconscious wishes or impulses are fulfilled the dream acts to um all right, so these these thoughts, these things that you repress, are Vorstellung um, Repräsentanzen, which are um, an impulse, like a, a an affect, an emotion, coupled with a an object, like like a uh, some thought, some combination of object representations that, like what the content is mm-hmm. of that of that thought. So. Those are repressed, and in your dreams, they're decoupled. So the aspect that's called um, displacement. And so the the affect on that thought can be put onto something else, and so another affect can be put onto the elements that make up the thought. Thus, the dream serves to obscure to you the actual nature of what it is that you're thinking, thereby finding a certain kind of release that is. Um, acceptable to your id, which is the yeah. which is what wants those things um, <laughs> fulfilled. Right, right. So much like substituting a a sandwich for the burrito, right? Yeah. When you're hungry, that's exactly what you're doing when you're having a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, is is giving yourself representations that gratify your id's desires. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so that's that's Freudianism, Hegelianism. Watch our other video. <laughs> yeah, we. we I said video. Just listen to our other podcasts on that. We did a podcast. Yeah. Uh, contra- things are driven by their internal contradictions. Uh, that's uh, pretty much what you need to know. Things are in a dialectic with their internal contradictions. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> Structuralism. I've talked about post-structuralism, but not in this kind of way. So, just talking about it from Lacan, not Ferdinand de Saussure, who created it, or Claude Levi-Strauss, who was this um, developed structural anthropology. Think of it this way. Okay, so Freud, get that out of your head. It's nothing. Okay. (laughs) Your mind is a text. It's like a, like, um, and when I say a text, what do I mean? You know when you watch a movie and like the matrix or something or something that has a lot of tech in it. And they'll often give like a visual representation of like phone networks or internet connections. Right. Mm -hmm. So what that is, is like 
I bring that up because it's a it's a visual kind of metaphor representation of what this text is supposed to look like. It's this broiling, um, I don't know, meta space of all of these different elements interacting and turning all over the place with each other. And what those are are signifiers. Now, signifiers are a part of a sign. Language is made of signs. And a sign is a signifier which is a word or a part of a word and a signified, which is the word's meaning. Right. Okay. We don't actually have access to meaning. So um, that's out of the, out of, out of the picture. We have access to words. So the idea for Lacan is that um, both the conscious mind and unconscious mind are made of these networks of signifiers. That's why his famous statement is the unconscious is structured like a language. Yeah. For something to be repressed, it's not a word that's repressed. It is, it's not a signifier that's repressed. It is a chain of associations that brings certain signifiers together. So the best example of this that I ever saw was he, it was an interview with a woman that had been treated by Lacan in psychoanalytic practice. And she had been, she was a Holocaust survivor and she told him that she was waking up every morning at 5 AM because that's when the Gestapo uh, came and started rounding up people to, you know, put them on trains to take them off to concentration camps and, Mm. and, all of that clearly very that's horrific right you could definitely understand like every day for the rest of your life you would wake up at 5 a.m yeah, and all Lacan did uh, which it's it's kind of funny because you you know <laughs> the first thing you learn is never touch any patients no your teacher never <laughs> touch any students Lacan gets out of his seat and he just brushes his hand across her cheek now i'm not saying this completely cured her or anything like <laughs> that but the reason that this ended up fixing what her problem was is because the word Gestapo um, mm-hmm. in France, uh, in French, the word is gesh, which is gesture, uh, apo on the skin. Mm. Okay. So she was waking up every morning because of the Gestapo. She had this association with a gesture on the skin mm-hmm that he needed to recontextualize that signifier chain, that signifying those words that right. occur together. Because for her, what they meant was this, like she, she could no longer um, have not, not necessarily sexual, just, just intimacy. Right. Yeah. That's what this like waking up at 5. AM every single morning for the rest of your life represented. It's just this, this absence mm-hmm. of it. Uh, of intimacy from her life. She couldn't enjoy things anymore because of this signifying chain that was repressed that she couldn't, she couldn't access. Mm -hmm. So by this one simple thing, he completely recontextualized that for her. And she was able to, you know, lead a more functional life after that. I mean, honestly, that's if it works, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. And it did. So now one-to-one correlation, who knows? Right. But his his idea was that was that it's these the unconscious is made of these repressed signifying chains. Okay. Now so so and then the last element of all of this is Husserlian phenomenology. Um 
And that is a little complicated too, because, and that in, in, incorporates uh, Jean-Paul Sartre and Heidegger. And so I'm just not going to talk about it right now because it's a completely different topic. Matt, uh, what was your takeaway? Explain those videos to me. Okay. So uh, like the first, uh, the first video, he's talking about uh, subjectivity and uh, kind of like uh, basically the, the self like our our concept of self and everything like is essentially like we have desire like we have images right of what we want or what we believe we want for ourselves right as far as like this is part of who i am you know because you know i want you know like to be a doctor right and I want to, you know, but like, so you go and live your life, you know, kind of to the, there's the objective and subjective, uh, you know, kind of concepts there, dude. And again, my memory guys, just so everyone knows here, bad offhand, but that's why I watch these videos like three times, which, you know, seem to help a lot, but the, uh, like you have subjectivity and it's basically like, so once you are you know, you're a baby, you have a mirror stage, you have no concept of like before the mirror stage, yourself as yourself. So once you have that realization, you enter your mirror stage, uh, then it's all kind of like you like you trying to, I would say, come to a realization of the self that you have conceptualized throughout your you know, whole life. This is an ongoing thing. So he, he went into a lot of like, basically how, you know, things like we have desires and things that we use to attempt to achieve that, uh, concept of self. Uh, but, uh, you keep like, basically, you know, it's a never ending path. Like once you've achieved the one thing that you believe you want, that you need to be, you know, part of yourself, there's another thing that comes on, but all these things are, you know, like things that we, we learned, you know, things we didn't know we wanted, but someone else, you know, shows that we want it. We do want it. Um, I, this is very sloppy as far as <laughs> like how he ordered okay. it, but yeah. yeah. So, so when we say self, typically in psychoanalysis, when you say that, you're talking about the ego, hence ego psychology. If somebody is sick, somebody has a neurotic disorder um, or psychotic, it's considered to be ego weakness, right? Like your ego isn't developed enough or something's wrong with it. For Lacan, this is not the case. For Lacan, the ego, the way that Freud describes it, is a symptom. It's a neurotic symptom. It is not a self-structure. We would call ourselves, we need to consider in terms of existentialism and phenomenology more. And that is that it is a subject. Consciousness is directed outwards towards something. There's no such There'd thing as consciousness object. as such. There's right. just consciousness of something. That's, that's kind of what Husserlian, that's like the core of Husserlian phenomenology. Okay. And that model excludes the idea of an unconscious or anything else. So this is Lacan kind of coming to terms between Freud, Freud's model of the psyche and an existential slash phenomenological model of the psyche. 
the subject who you would consider yourself mm-hmm. is a cluster of associations between signifiers that ex- that exists partially consciously so that's like what you would consider yourself to be and partially unconsciously meaning the stuff about yourself that you deny and that you mm-hmm. repress um, and don't have access to what subject what subjectivity is is this desire moving outwards to to kind of understand it uh, we start as subjects in the imaginary stage and the mirror stage is this part where an infant looks into the mirror and sees itself mm-hmm. and for the fr- and, and recognizes it. it's not just some random image yeah. among other images it recognizes this image to be it, its own image but remember we go back to hegel and we realize that that is a lie that is not me i am me <laughs> right Right. That is an image of an me. Image that is not me. the same thing as me. That's the essential determination. And it is linguistically very difficult to parse out. <laughs> you know, you have to really slow down and say, okay, I'm looking in the mirror right now. That's me. Yeah. That's my image. My image and me are not the same thing. Right. Me, my consciousness is this always pointed out towards something thing, right? I can't really say what I am. When I think about what I am, an image comes to my mind, but that is image is not how I experience myself. I experience myself as like just empty space and then image here, image there, a feeling of my hand, this disembodied kind of consciousness, right? That's what I am. But but everybody tells me, and I tell myself, that this image of me is who I am. This image forms the first symbol, the first um, symbolic element of my existence, and right. is this image that I can project outwards into the world, into the future, to think about myself and to affix other signifiers right. and thus create my own subject. What that does, though, is it means that we're all living a lie. <laughs> We're all living outwards, pointed out towards our future. Problem is that were that lie ever to become a a, like realized, um, truly realized, we're talking about it like on an affectational level, right? Um, We would all we would go psychotic. Yep, (laughs) because the real for for me to be a subject, for me to function in the world. I have to have desire pointed outwards. I have to have something that I want to achieve. Basically apply meaning here. <laughs> right. And so when I say like, like a new video game is coming out that I really, well, there is one I really want to play, which is Vampire the Masquerade Blood and Lights 2, which is, seems like it's absolutely fucked and I'm, I'm just I'm beside myself. I, I, I can't handle it, man. Um, well, I'm pretty sad about that. <laughs> Uh, but but so but the reason why i'm i'm excited about it my desire is pointed towards an image of myself playing that game playing that game and and being fulfilled by playing that Mm -hmm. game right coming you know uniting with you know like i don't have the object right now but the the visual of me having that object and being you know completed by it right that's that's really what it is (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) And I fill this hole, this lack inside myself, this yeah. this like black hole of of 
need of like <laughs> I need something outside of myself, so I need to, to go outside of myself yeah. to pull it into myself. The problem is, once I get Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines two, well, chances are, from what you I can tell, it's probably gonna, I'm probably not going to be very happy playing it because they fired the lead <laughs> fucking writer. Um, uh, that's neither here nor there, but like, <laughs> like as soon as I have it. I, I automatically reposition that desire onto something else, right? And so I'm always constantly creating these images of myself being fulfilled by something and trying to pull that into me and, and orienting my future towards it. This is Heidegger, basically, is, yeah. is um, and, and more phenomenology. It's this being towards death. Um, but... <laughs> But yeah, so I, I imagine myself out in the world and pulling in it. So, and, and then what is that desire really? Like, not like the mirror stage in, in the video, he suggests that, mm-hmm. um, and, and he's right, that this is our, this is why we do our primary, uh, we're all fucked up, is yeah. because <laughs> of this, this, this concept of loss that I can never actually be who I am. And that original encounter with the real, right? The, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> The emptiness, the not having the symbolic is what creates this kind of psychological scar. Um, that you're forever trying to fill. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yes. So, but Lacan proceeds and he doesn't really go into this in the video, but what this, what this comes down to. And so we're going to bring it in together now with Freud and the, and the Oedipal complex hmm. because the Oedipal complex alone, you know, that's okay. It's a postulate, whatever. <laughs> but there is something to the um, understanding that if you think about an infant, at some point, the infant grows a little bit. Mommy has starts having to go to work. She starts right. going out on dates with daddy. She starts giving reasons why she's not going to be around all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to a little kid who doesn't understand words yet, <laughs> really, it or who has yeah. a very limited vocabulary, limited conceptual understanding of the world. Like, Not good enough. <laughs> so, so that is, whatever that explanation is, right, becomes a phallic signifier. <laughs> is yeah. your mother's desire is what pulls her, like, supposedly you should be the one who fulfills your mother's desire. That's why, you know, she, you know, is, is standing over you, you know, like wondering like, Oh, Hey, here, let's give you a little rattle. See if that works. Oh yeah. Look at the baby. He's so cute. All of that. Right. You're the apple of your mother's eye. Right. Um, but at some point she's pulled away regardless of what explanation she gives. (laughs) You're still a little kid. You can't understand it. So it becomes a negative explanation. It just becomes a placeholder explanation. And so that um, fa- it becomes a phallic signifier. What fills your mother's desire is not you, but something else. And that mm-hmm. something else is typically your father. Um, and, and it becomes the phallic signifier because right. it is literally sometimes your father's penis that fills your mother's <laughs> lack, which is her desire, but also fills the space in your mother. Physically, because your father fucks your mother. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, her vagine. Yeah, exactly. So, gross. But this isn't Lacan. This is like a common, this is, he's just kind of bringing in Freud to the equation now. Um, So, the phallic signifier is what your mother desires. 
Okay. And so you're postulating it. it you don't know what this thing is, right? It's just um, completely right. negative object. Yeah. As far as you're concerned. And so that thing, uh, Lacan called it le petit objet A, or the little object A, mm. is this elusive, non existent bit um, that can be thought of as your father's penis that you <laughs> are, are projecting onto all of the things that you think will complete you and you think they'll right. complete you because they are what you are postulating your mother desires to fill mm -hmm. her own lack and her own desire, you know, to fill her own space. And so when you project that onto a person, what you want when you say desire somebody sexually is you desire their desire. You want to be attractive yeah. to them. Right? So what you're putting, you're taking your imaginary object and you're sticking it and imagining it, this imaginary object yourself, right? To be stuck inside mm -hmm. somebody else's imaginary object, which then would come back and, and feed back into your own imaginary object, which is just it's <laughs> holes, filling other holes, filling other holes. Right. And yeah. so that's what human relationships really are. There you go, guys. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. And, and I mean, to, to, to me, there are elements of Lacan that, um, I think um, uh, Gil Deleuze, who's now your character in our Call of Cthulhu yeah. game, <laughs> and, um, and Felix Guattari, who was a Lacanian psychoanalyst, mm. um, and they wrote these books together, uh, which I've talked a little bit about before. But So they take Lacan, but they, but they have other... They, they want to expand Lacan and say that maybe conceptualizing desire as lack and always trying to fill a lack in ourselves, maybe there is some sort of agenda. Like, that fits... That ultimately makes us into very good consumers, right? Yeah, that's... <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and while that is true, like, the whole... Uh, they use Freud as a an earmarker a placeholder for a th like institutional authority. Mm -hmm. And so the job of the psychoanalyst, metaphorically speaking, meaning um, psychiatry in general or schooling, a lot of the, um, you know, ideological state apparatuses talked about by Louis Althusser, um, all of that functions to create us to, to direct our desire properly onto the right objects, which would be like sports cars and, and yeah. uh, sneakers and, you know, blue jeans and, and uh, Nike and all of that stuff. <laughs> yes, like, all the so they're not, they're, once again, work. they're not specifically saying Jacques Lacan does that or Freud did that, but that, that psychoanalysis in general, um, serves the like these bourgeois kind of um aspirations to create a very good consumer society um yeah. but but that's not neither here nor there with lacan like what lacan wants to do is treat people um what deleuze and gotari want to do are conceptualized way ways of doing um you know communist slash socialist revolution <laughs> um <laughs> that are not necessarily violent, but done in thought and in way in new ways of thinking, which they call schizoanalysis. That's yeah. neither here nor there. I'm all like anything. Get me talking long enough. And I'll just start talking about delusion. But everything leads there. <laughs> also Jacques Derrida it used to be Jacques Derrida, but then I read delusion guitar. <laughs> but Jacques <laughs> Derrida is the other one who um, kind of 
takes Lacan's ideas and yeah. and deconstructs some of them and runs with them in other ways. And yeah. And yes. then all of this is, you know, um, postmodern neo-Marxism. <laughs> um, Which we've also talked about. Yeah, I'm a teacher. Like, I teach this to my math students. <laughs> um, because what I want is um, I'm, I'm indoctrinating them to, to turn them into communists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's the idea. Is um, I'm using what Deleuze and Guattari said, turn people into really good you know, capitalist consumers and I'm, I'm using it for how communism. To, I'm using it for communism. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just, I'm oh, just absolutely clearly kidding. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's Lacan in a, in a 51 minute long nutshell. Now I, I, I'm going to edit this down, of course. So it's going to be like 20 minutes, but I think that's yeah. the longest introduction we've ever had before. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay. but, uh, it, it's just, that's just, really what i'm into i love french theory so let's why don't we why don't we look at some um reddit some, posts? Some, yeah reddit our favorite place to go and uh marvel at humanity's questions and hopefully help them with them matt why don't you read this first one okay <laughs> yeah man you got it uh crotch sweat can smell really good fresh direct from sport hormones and sweat the animal scent there's nothing more vital in human perfume and shame in contrast are prudish attempts to suppress our primal instincts well all right i will uh i mean i will say that i believe there is some truth to that <laughs> some definite truth to it i mean uh, i don't know my first instinct here though is to say where does your like Perfume and shame, you're saying, are, are these prudish attempts to suppress our primal instincts. But well, why wouldn't, why couldn't like shame be a primal instinct too, or perfume? Like you haven't made that necessarily clear. Like you're creating like a, a divide between what you consider to be society and culture and nature, right? But how, how are you making that divide? Why are you putting perfume and shame mm. on the culture side and say you're primal and manly or, or, you know, womanly or whatever you want to say instincts on the, on the, uh, nature side. Well, I would Why say it be the other way around. Oh yeah. I would say maybe, this maybe we're knows. fulfilled in, in culture. It was where we can really take off our clothes and stick, <laughs> stick our noses up in our, our dicks. And maybe it's nature that says that we should be ashamed of ourselves. I yeah, mean, why, I mean, why wouldn't it be? They, they, they're assuming a lot here, but basically, uh, I, I mean, I'm going to say that they per, in particular are probably really turned on by uh crotch sweat. There you go. And, oh uh, yeah, but the, that, that, that part of that's them fine. is ashamed of it, but also is, doesn't want to be. So, uh, I, yeah, I, um, so the way, so I think good on you, you know what you like, which is crotch sweat. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it would really depend but eh, not, not 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 my thing that's okay um, i mean but when I, you I, say like when you when you assert that like perfume and sh trying to cover this up means that we we should be shamed of this and we shouldn't be ashamed of this like what yeah. you're doing there is you're actually showing that that is your repression like you actually are ashamed yeah, of this and and you're just and you're just like vigorously asserting how unashamed of it you are uh, yeah. When your when your fear and your actuality is that you know in your dreams at night you 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 know dream about yourself being in front of a tribunal <laughs> who's accusing you of being a bad person because you like to sniff 
you know, people's, people's nut sacks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say though, like I uh, anecdotally, right. I've heard now, I don't, I don't know the actual statistics, but that most babies in the army, like, you know, from a army wife and husband is made after uh PT in the morning. So, you know, I mean, uh, you ca- man comes in super sweaty into the house, you know, I guess, you know, <laughs> if that's your thing, like this person, it seems to be, it's pretty natural. Don't be ashamed of it. But also like, uh, you know, don't hide that you have some misgivings about it. Okay. Just, just, just acknowledge that. <laughs> I'll read the next one. Um, should you be concerned as a parent if your child is drawing Ooh. violent pictures? For the record, I'm not a parent. Just curious. He's drawing the violent pictures. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I don't know about that. I just, um, somebody, yeah, I don't know. Um, I like to assume. Go. It depends on the violent pictures. Yeah, to an extent, like, if it's, like, because I've known, like, uh, you know, like, if a kid draws, like, you know, like, G.I. Joe's fighting or whatever, you know, that's pretty harmless, I'd say, you know. When I was in high school, I would, like, doodle, like, pictures of myself going around uh, using my giant penis to smack the other students in the face and beat the crap yeah. out of them with my giant penis. I mean, that's pretty violent. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, overall, I'm pretty fucked up, but I wouldn't say I'm, like, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm dangerous or anything. Just that you want to mollywop people with your penis. I mean, you know, it's fine. I think I, that's, you know, fairly normal. It's, it, like, yeah, it, it depends. If, you're, if your kid is, like, fantasizing, drawing pictures of themselves dressed up like the Columbine shooters yeah. and coming in and, and murdering all the kids at school, then that might be something you want to talk about. Although, yeah. I, you know, and this sounds really, f- might sound really fucked up. I recognize that. But <laughs> for somebody who feels very um, maybe angry about things that are going on, um, in their own right. life and they feel like they don't have any power that might be an, at least an explanation for why somebody right. would draw that. Maybe they can enact some of those, uh, ideas Urges and fantasy acting on them. Exactly. So is it something to be concerned about? Um, I don't know how, how well do you know your child? Is that something True. that they could conceivably do? Have you seen them say, uh, I don't know, hurt small animals or something like that. Yeah, I would be much more concerned about, you know what the kid does than the pictures they draw yeah but depending it's kind of like yeah again if it's pictures coupled with oh yeah i found like you know a dismembered squirrel in their sock drawer it's like well that you know that's a bigger problem but but i could imagine like like i i never did this primarily because i'm not like artistically talented but i could imagine like and i didn't get bullied but (laughs) Um, I can imagine getting bullied and being really angry about that and then going home and drawing yourself like, you know, killing the bully and raping his mom. That might be like a healthy way to deal with the frustration of of doing that without actually getting violent. If you can enact that in fantasy, I mean, what else would fantasy be for? Yeah, I mean, in that case, you know, though, it is it's kind of therapeutic and, you know, (laughs) maybe maybe not. You know, maybe you want to kind of steer, you know, yourself away from that shit. But I can hey. show you the world. 
Uh, and then oh, you're yeah, just flying on the magic carpet ride and it's and it's the like neck beard and he's looking over and it's just all <laughs> below him images of himself just <laughs> whacking just beating his bully to death with his penis i mean now that right like that's a whole new uh a whole new form of dominance right there man like that that is a come up for a kid getting bullied <laughs> i'm going to beat you to death my giant penis uh, is it like isn't it weird that that's like the worst, <laughs> like that's the image that nobody ever said anything about somebody beating somebody else to death with their penis, but that's immediately what, what I went to. <laughs> I mean, you know, Freudian's like, you know, <laughs> what is Freud say? Using my own penis like a baseball bat. <laughs> I beat someone to death with some shit chucks. You know, that's always an option. <laughs> I, know, I know. No, no, no. That was last episode. We need to keep these strictly separate. We're not, not right, we need right. to not. <laughs> I won't bring up shit chucks again, but, but yeah, don't bring up shit chucks. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So my dick, oh, well, the next one's fun. I'll fucking start that one. Uh, so my dick just got, uh, spit on by my toilet. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so I was taking a shit, right? I did my business and flushed while sitting down and I felt what I, I thought was a blow of air. Shut up. But with further examination of my schlong, noticed it was wet. My dick was so big, it got spit on by the toilet. Uh, if that's how you want to take that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you, like, I don't, I, I don't think your dick even has to be big to have a toilet uh, spray water on it. That shit just happens, yeah, I, dog. I think it mostly has to do with the, like, water pressure and yeah. suction that the toilet makes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I get, like to me, it's like this is this is a bit of wishful thinking you've thrown in here, you know, like, but uh, you know, like that happens a, to a lot of people. Like, uh, I would say it probably happens more if you flop your dong in the toilet as opposed to lay it across the seat, like some people choose to, you so, know. So, so I guess so, so. Like, I think we can use maybe try and conceptualize this in a Lacanian sense, right? <laughs> like. So what, like, this person posted this, right, on Reddit, Mm -hmm. and I think big dick, big penis problems or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But what's the desire going on? Like, everything has a a desire explanation, right? So in this instance, what's the desire going on? Like, oh, it's funny, I got toilet water on my dick. Okay, that's, but what's he doing? He's posting in big penis problems. So he wants people to think he has a big dick. He wants people to think he has a big dick. Um, so he wants other people to desire him, him yeah. not necessarily women, but you know, if you're posting on big penis problems, you're probably a man, other <laughs> men to idolize him yeah. for his big penis yeah. and wish that they were like him. So they yeah. put his, him and his big penis that gets toilet water on it, his, his <laughs> shit covered dick pedestal. <laughs> into their hole in the center of their, yeah. themselves. <laughs> And yeah. then he can just, you know, exist there in that hole of their desire. With his big dick. With his big toilet water covered dick. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I fully agree. Like, this, and again, I like, just from the way it was worded, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, like, it, this is exactly that. It's him projecting what he wants people think about him. He wants that big dick admiration. But, uh. I'm calling bullshit on his story, though. You can get your dick wet, you know, just period, you know, from the toilet. 
So I think like if he does really believe it's big, it might just be like, it's not really that big. You just, you know, really want it to be. <laughs> and you're using the wetness of the toilet experience just to uh, justify, you know, or to explain that to yourself. Like, yeah, no, I really do have a big dick. My, my, my toilet got it wet. You didn't say you dang you sat down and your dick fucking fell into the water <laughs> in the bottom of the bowl. So <laughs> Yeah, just think about the explanatory lengths this that he's going through <laughs> to conceptualize himself as somebody who has a big dick. Yeah, if you accidentally flush your dick down the toilet, I'll be like, Well, you got a hog, bro, but like <laughs> that's uh, you know, that'd be funny to fucking see. He's got he's got like a two two Point two, two inch penis penis <laughs> and uh but he's like he's like hold he's like stretching it out I'm like come on toilet <laughs> water please splash my dick uh yes <laughs> <laughs> yes i have a big penis oh my god right that's just what i'm fucking thinking he is really going on here but like you'll know if you have a big penis like seriously if you accidentally flush the thing like there, there you go that that's legit like no doubt in my mind. All right. Yeah, dude, it's got a hog. <laughs> uh, that's fun. All right. Negative people can re- be really fun to be around, and sometimes they give the best advice. So this was, I think, from unpopular huh. opinion. People that, uh, uh, people that tells everyone that they have to be positive and blah, blah, blah are <laughs> the most annoying creatures. I absolutely 100% agree. Uh, no, I don't want to be positive when I have a problem. I want to be miserable and cry understandable uh i ha- when i have a problem at work i've noticed that it was the people that are considered negative that helped me to overcome it by offering useful advice they don't mm. tell me to be positive and everything it's going to be okay they actually help others also negative people may don't laugh and smile all the time but when they do they tell the best jokes because they have a dry sense of humor they don't pretend to laugh and they don't fake smile. I actually prefer to be around negative people because they are more practical and more real. That's it. Mm. I mean, if you're negative all the time, that's probably bad. But, uh, I mean, you know, I would, I would put myself in that negative category for most of the time. Like, yeah. And, and it, I don't know. I would have to say I get where the, I really do agree with this person for the most part. You know, especially in the very beginning, like, I do not want when I'm fucking sad, I want to be sad. Like, yeah, like I get mad when, you know, things don't go my way and we get sad. I get very angry. But (laughs) so I handle it differently. So, uh, I mean, I get where you're coming from, though. Like, I wouldn't say that humor from a negative person is dry. It tends to get a little dark, which can be very fun if, you know, that's your humor, you know, but it's almost like, you know. What they say misery seeks company <laughs> so uh like maybe that has something to do with this i don't know what you say bud i think that um so a man named norman vincent peel published some book when but it's called the power of positive thinking <laughs> and yeah i'm positive so so remember the uh kind of like critique of things that turn you into a good consumer for capitalism right right. um you know make you a good purchaser of uh different of things yeah of things of you know let's get that next video game let's get that next uh uh pair of sneakers that you need (laughs) with the fucking basketball you pump them up dog your pumps 
Um, yeah, it makes you if you're if you're thinking positively all the time and you're not you know down and depressed, then you have no problems going shopping. Right. So no, I I think that um, there's of course a balance, right? On one one hand, it isn't it isn't a good thing to always take a negative view of things because that's what um, as somebody who suffers from depression myself, that is a tendency that a lot of people have that ends up creating these negative feedback loops where you just can't envision yourself ever being, um, ever, happy. Ever being happy. And that's not, um, not necessarily a good thing. Remember, we need to maintain that desire mm-hmm. um, pointed outwards. So instead I, I just take a, a much more realistic. Some things are bad and you can feel bad about them. Sometimes you want to be miserable and cry. That's the right thing to do. Now, if you're miserable and crying all the time over every situation uh, and it's impacting your your ability to function in the world, that's bad. And you should probably change that. But <laughs> yeah. um, but if but at the same time, if you ta- constantly take just an uncritical, positive look about everything, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, your problem, you're just too negative all the time, man. Oh, man, nothing makes yeah. me want to fucking beat somebody that, to, to death with my is penis more anyway like <laughs> oh yeah dude like fuck i'll join in beat beat him with my penis too and, and the bullshit. reason and the reason that people do that when somebody is like oh no it's, you know you're just being too negative you have to look at things more positively you know why they're doing that is because they want you to shut the fuck up they don't want you to bring them down with your problem True. like so, so if you have a quote friend who's always really positive, that's what they're trying to do with their positivity is to silence you because your your problem, well, <laughs> you're bumming me out with that shit, man. Shut the fuck up. I got shit to do. I, you know, I need to lie to myself and tell me tell myself yeah. everything's okay all the time. Why are you trying to bring me down? That's what How they're doing. How dare you fucking tell me that there's a reality beneath all this that sucks worse than I want it to? <laughs> Like, well, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, guy. Yeah, no, I mean, that is... I don't know. Like, I, I just don't go all, um, I err on the side of negativity because, <laughs> because, uh, h- however much I'm disappointed with him, the man made some very good points. Uh, um, you know, why the fuck would anything good ever happen ever? Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that's a, that's a great line, but, <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know, you're not going to be able to live functionally, no. um, always, you know, hating yourself and hating everything else. You need to just for, for pragmatic sake, say, maybe I should attempt to do this thing because who actually knows what the outcome is, is going to be yeah. like often the outcome will be negative, but hundred percent of the time or even 70, yeah. you know, like it's probably going to be more balanced as to your yeah. efforts in the world. You can't so. know <laughs> until you try it, you know? So yeah, definitely do a mixed bag of negative and positive, you know, like, I, I mean, even if you got to fake it, you know, just, just give like a 25% fake positivity and just, you know, keep on with the negativity the rest of the time. But you can't uh, go all you, in. Why don't you read this next one for us? Oh, well, this is okay. So, Husband kisses daughter, and it weirds me out. All right, uh, let's get into this. So I need help wording something to my husband. I'll start by saying I trust him. I don't think he's some kind of uh, sexual predator. I just think that what he says slash does is weird. Okay. He kisses our daughter, six months 
old on the lips. I personally don't like it. It makes me feel weird. I figured it is my problem. At six months old, I, it feels like... All right, let's keep going. <laughs> uh, and I don't want to tell him how to parent. I let the small things go. Anyway, the other month, he kissed her, and she must have stuck her tongue out and said... Oh, okay. Got it. She's saying she must have stuck her tongue out, and he said... Got it. She is going to be a good kisser. Uh, it sexualized her so much, and I hated it. It's been a month now, and I am creeped out by it. I'm definitely going to mention it. Am I overreacting? Why does it weird me out so much? Um, I am bossy in a lot of ways. With our daughter, I just want him to feel like he is an equal parent, without me just creating all the rules. Uh, I'm not sure how to approach it clearly. So, hmm. I, I think would you're, say you're, I think your concerns are well founded, actually. I mean, saying that, you know, she would be a good kisser is weird. But I know, like, a lot of parents, like, um, uh, my uh, sister-in-law, she kisses her kids on the mouth. I mean, no. It, I'm a little bit, like, confused when he said she's going to be a good kisser. Why would you assume she must have stuck her tongue out? Like, there, there's, a, there's an assumption there on your part that kind of makes me feel like you do like you must think he's weird in some way i guess you know it's like yeah i get it is not exactly normal you know for everyone like but families are different i don't know like uh yeah uh, my I, mine I, was I a know. kiss on the cheek kind of family so yeah mine too. I, I i i would say it's a little bit weird i'm not <laughs> uh so here's the thing so you know like Matt, you know, like there are, there are, you know, the, the trope I would say of mm -hmm. the kid who's really shy and the kind of gross ass grandmother and the mom <laughs> or the dad, it's like, go over and give your grandmother a hug. And the kid's like, no, I don't want to. And then the, yeah. like, Come on, give me a hug, you know, all that. <laughs> um, so yeah, what the, you know, psychology and research shows is that you're not supposed to do that because what yeah. it teaches kids is that they don't own their own bodies like they can't make decisions yeah. about uh their own personal space and i i tend to agree with that right like you know yeah i um, mean let them make their own decisions you know for yeah um I don't know when it comes to your daughter, like that's kind of what I feel like kissing her on the mouth. Like, I don't know. It, it, you know, it just feels like a, uh, I don't know, slight icky violation. I don't mean it necessarily sexually or I don't, you know, maybe your husband is doing it unintentionally um, and that's fine. It's just, ugh. you know, maybe first don't kiss an infant. They're fucking gross. You know, kids, they put shit in their mouths all the time. Why would you want to put your lips on? Ugh gross um okay but putting putting that aside parents like, are weird man <laughs> yeah parents are fucking weird uh anyway i don't know you uh, i would say uh, I, you, but. <laughs> I, I would say bring it up why why are you kissing your daughter on the mouth that's weird um and if he reacts poorly well then you know sorry i mentioned it i like I <laughs> say if if he's like oh yeah because i want to fuck my six-month-old daughter then maybe you should think about like <laughs> leave. <laughs> leave but i don't i don't doesn't seem yeah, like that's I, I don't what your think that's really say. it um but it's, st it's it still weird it's still like if i saw if i saw a parent doing that i'd be like oh that's 
right? Like that's some that's some like weird stuff where you're kissing your kid on the mouth and then saying, "Oh, she's gonna be a good kisser." Oh. See that that yeah. again, like because I've seen parents, you know, kiss their kids on the mouth and like you know that's that's a bit weird for me but i've seen it you know and i know that that person doesn't feel that you know have any weird desires for their sons you know or so it's like uh that is what he said was kind of weird that was definitely kind of weird for me <laughs> like why why would you say that <laughs> uh it's like it's like those uh you know it's like when uh people say oh you know little Susie's such a little tease. She's gonna get all the boys. That like that's creepy when they do that. You know what I mean? Like it, this is creepy in that same way to me. Yeah, like when an adult man sees a little little girl or something and says he she's gonna be. You're gonna have to keep, swat the boys away with a with a <laughs> fly swatter to keep the boys off of her. Like she's like, six dude, months old. Dude, what the yeah, fuck? she's six months old. You're revealing your own fucked in fucking pedophilic nonsense stop it <laughs> go away stay away from my family fucking do that shit <laughs> yeah that is a bit fucking creepy there but and when people say that shit i'm like what the fuck <laughs> went through your head before you fucking opened your mouth there like think about it, what the fuck you're about to say are tall Jeez. guys into short girls i'm crushing on this guy that works at the gym i go uh, i go to but i'm five two and he's way taller than me want to approach him just to get to know him, but this is just in the back of my mind. What did tall guys think of short girls? What the fuck do you mean? Like, one, you're not that short. Okay. 5'2 is pretty short. Eh, yeah. Yeah, I guess phase 5'4. That is two inches under her, so that is pretty short. Like, so, way taller I don't know, than like, you can, like, can mean a lot of different <laughs> things. Like, patriarch. like, speaking of, like, patriarchal thinking and stuff like that, um... So, and everybody's into different things. So you can't mm -hmm. know ahead of time. Uh, but in our culture, um, typically men tend to like shorter women, uh, regardless. They like to um, feel like a protector. Cause they like to feel like a protector. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's right or how it should be. Maybe it's right for certain people. All of that. That's fine. It's just throwback shit dog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and hey, you go to the gym, like you're fucking swole, probably you could probably kick his ass. So Yeah, you know, you know if he says if he you know, just why not? You got nothing to lose, basically. I would say on average, you're not gonna have most guys no problem with short girls. You know? Uh most guys I would say probably prefer girls at least shorter than them, if not short, you know. So go for it. Nothing to lose there. I'm not super tall, I'm only six one, so I can't speak for particularly tall guys. Like, I imagine he's like 6'3 or 6'4. She said really tall, so, you know. Those, are, those couple inches make a difference. Yeah, you're fine. Uh, Matt, why don't you read the next one? Oh, okay. Is it correct to say that Kant was agnostic regarding solipsism? Kant held that we can't know anything about things in themselves. So would Kant say that we can't really know whether there are things beyond our minds since that would require knowledge of things in themselves wow that uh that has Matt, this is a great question it. you picked for me thanks so much <laughs> <laughs> um well what, what do you think matt um well let me let me think here can't know well yeah in the box uh 
<laughs> oh my god, dude! This is like this is a uh, kind of getting I went circular to, I went to in ask, my reasoning here. This is, I, just, I went to ask philosophy, <laughs> and I picked. This is a pretty esoteric question. That's why I you picked. really fucking. <laughs> This guy was sat here is like, huh? <laughs> it's actually a great question, and, and it is, you know, for a philosophy scholar. But the answer yeah. is that um, uh, so would Kant uh, would Kant say that we can't really know whether there are things beyond our mind? Mm. Um, Kant wouldn't say that. Kant would say that uh, it's not that we can't know something beyond our mind because if we are positing something beyond our mind in the first place, we're speaking of an existence and we can't speak right. of an existence outside of the category of existence that is part of the categories of pure understanding. Uh, we can only apply yeah. those to objects within our perception. So when we talk right. about any object whatsoever, we can only talk about an object as it would exist within our, our, our perceptive, yeah, our experience. Yeah, exactly. So to even posit an object outside of our experience in the first place, we can't talk about it. We can't say anything about it. <laughs> yeah, it's in we the can't box. even say it exists because all of those categories only apply to objects of possible experiences. Mm -hmm. So when Kant says objective, he's talking about an intersubjective space um, of objects that we could conceive of, right? That could be possible experiences. Whereas the noumenal realm or whatever, and this is why Kant is so difficult to understand sometimes, <laughs> is made is that metaphysical realm that he's saying that the rationalists are had been positing things, positing as the the cause of events in in um, in perception, and he does leave space to say like um, we can. I, I would say like confer that maybe there's something there because we have perceptions. So something needs to be stimulating from the outside that does that. But I wouldn't, but he's, he, this is kind of comes into the like deconstruction of Kant is that this is, this is very unclear as to what he's saying. Um, ultimately what, what he aligns with is this idea that this numeral realm is where we can get our um, understanding of ethics and morality from. That's the realm of like belief, but, but not the realm of something that we could speak coherently. So that's how I take Kant. I, I, I don't, and I, I know there's like something a little contradictory in there and that's why Kant is such a controversial figure. But I think that we can take a, a I, I think transcendental idealism is a coherent stance to take overall is that when we're talking about objects, we're only ever talking about objects of possible experiences, not objects as they would exist in themselves outside of human perception. Mm. So the answer is, but, but Kant would say <laughs> you can't even talk about those. So, yeah. <laughs> so no, um, like would Kant say that we can't really know whether there are things beyond our mind? No, the things beyond our mind are the things as we experience them. That's what he would say is that objective, the object that we could talk about is outside of ourselves uh, as an empirical reality. Um, when you're talking about an object as they exist in themselves, that's a transcendental reality. And we mm. can't even posit that or even think about that and conceptualize it correctly because it violates the category, like the, our ability to understand things. Mm. You only know what you have a reference. God, can't. Don't be such a can't. Does this count as child neglect slash abandonment? Oh, My mom was loving and caring. 
she bought me <laughs> um make statement then we'll say a bunch <laughs> of stuff that contradicts statement okay, i'm sorry does this count as child neglect slash abandonment my mom was loving and caring she bought me all the toys i wanted and really spoiled me but sometimes if i break the rules she used to go days on end without talking to me or even looking at me i would be in Ooh. huge distress crying all day every day no reaction most she's gone was four days. Is this child neglect? How do I know if this was traumatizing? How do I know if I'm still affected by this today as an adult? 23. Okay, huh. so you're well, you're talking about it. So I would yeah, say it's so still you, affecting you. Yeah. I yeah. would say that not talking to a child as punishment for four days on end. Um, that's pretty extreme. Or even looking at you as if you don't exist. Uh yeah, no, that's child child neglect. Uh, regardless of whether how many toys she bought you like you know yeah. uh you, you can't like i can't just like take a take a paddle and um go and hit a kid and then yeah. then give him a transformer and say like uh you know a, a, a transformer toy and say oh well, this makes up for it like one right. isn't going to cancel out the other <laughs> i would almost say like this mom like or you said she spoiled you you know and all this shit but um, it's, it's almost like she spoiled you with the unspoken, like, in her, like, it's just in her mind. It's the unspoken, like, agreement that you're going to be, you know, a good, you, you're going to behave because she spoiled you, you know? And then, like, when you don't, like, she feels like, again, like, this is completely well, it's also, wrong. It's also <laughs> internalized, right? Yeah. Like, if you say she spoiled me. Um, what you're you're using probably she probably she says that she spoiled you a lot yeah right um and so you're like internalizing her fucked up version of events which you know does not jive with your own experience um you shouldn't go around considering yourself spoiled that's not like a healthy way to look at yourself right yeah it's like even if she bought you you know a bunch of toys and stuff like that is you know not something you need to put on like as yeah i am spoiled just because i had the things you know like that is what she wants you to believe keep that in mind it's just uh i'd say that is neglect to an extent yeah like ignoring a kid for four fucking days is just wow dude like Oh, how <laughs> that's in that, that's almost, that's pretty crazy to me, just uh, from an outsider's perspective here. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, yeah, I'd say, yeah, you probably got some some trauma there. You know, I would talk to a professional, you know, if it's really bothering you, like, you know, but, uh, yeah, go see a therapist. Yeah, Matt, read this next one. I'm Jewish. Is it disrespectful to get a Christmas tree? I don't want to disrespect anyone, truthfully. I don't know much about Christmas at all. I'm an American, so I grew up with it being a huge thing in the winter, but because I'm Jewish, I know nothing about the meaning of a tree or the meaning of Christmas. Honestly, I just think Christmas trees are really pretty and would be fun to decorate. Would it be wrong if I got one for the upcoming season? My boyfriend is Catholic, and I don't want to feel like I'm being disrespectful to the tradition. Okay, so, uh, no? Yeah, no, you're fine. Because the tree is not even a Christian like you know that that that's a fucking yule t- a yule fucking uh tradition it, it it came from like incorporating pagan religions into you know the the canon so to speak uh, pretty smart of the roman catholic church though like <laughs> but yeah that's a yule tradition which 
won't be offensive at all. It is fun. Enjoy it. Enjoy decorating uh, your fucking tree. I'm I'm Jewish. Um, yeah. And there's no problem with putting up a tree. Um, yeah. Uh, my 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 wife's family is they're Christian. Uh, mm. I'm I'm the biggest Christmas grump. I have a sweater that says "Go fuck yourself," and that's what I wear. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, this guy's "Go fuck yourself." It's got a big snowflake. Mm. And um and uh, yeah, and then I'm I. I tell all the kids running around that uh, Santa doesn't really exist and um, and that Christianity is just a bullshit version of Judaism so uh, mm. and and then I act really mean and get drunk uh, because I hate everything and I'm a terrible person <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't do have this stuff I, and I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't ever ruin little kids <laughs> with their, no, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It's a fun, fun time. And, and, you know, Catholics, Catholics actually love it when <laughs> Jews participate in Christ, Christmas with them because it validates their insecurities of, of like, Oh, why doesn't everybody celebrate Christmas? Well, Jews kind of do celebrate Christmas. We might do it with Chinese food, but you know, that's that. <laughs> but we're, you know, if you invite us to celebrate Christmas with you, we're more than happy to. Yeah. As long, as long as we get to be like salty Jews about everything. <laughs> Which is, can also be fun, I imagine. I mean, not from experience. It just seems fun to me. As, as a fucking, uh, as a, what's it called? Uh, oh, what, oh, man, I forgot it. Anyway, onwards to the next thing. Just cut that out. <laughs> Squirting without stimulation while high. I once oh. got so horny and wet when I was high that I somehow squirted out of nowhere without doing anything. I was just sitting there feeling high and noticed how horny I was. Then I felt the pressure build like I was going to and was like, no way. And I squirted. Is this normal? Has this happened to anyone else? Is this weird? <clears throat> I think it depends on your gender. Um, <laughs> like if you're a man and this happened to you. Um, that is odd. Yeah. If you're a woman and this happened to you, um, I, I think like I could see because you were high, right? And I don't know. Yeah. Mentally stimulate yourself, and you were horny. So, right? Did she say she was horny? I don't know. Yeah, she said she noticed she was horny. So to me, it's like you weren't like act like because like I know people can get so turned on that they'll just you know go like that happens. Uh. But uh, yeah, you just suddenly noticed it and then blew. I mean, that's kind of you know. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know. I mean, I don't think it's. I don't think you have anything to worry about. The other, the other thing here <laughs> is you were just kind of horny and also just super high, pissed yourself and misattribute it. But I mean, I'm not going to tell you about your own body. <laughs> but that would be yeah. Funny but you'd to have me. to be you'd have to be really <laughs> high, and also like if. Like, even if that's the case, why would you m- want to make somebody like realize that? Wouldn't it, mm. wouldn't it be better to say, uh, oh yeah, I squirted when I was high. Then I got so high. I just lost control of my bladder and peed on myself. Like, <laughs> you know, and one thing like, oh, now I have a problem with drugs and I should probably stop. Here I should I probably like cut back. Things. <laughs> yeah. And the other is like, I'm such a, hor- I'm so awesome and horny that that's just what happens. You know, I would say, I would say, take the, take the better view of yourself than the, yeah, don't listen to me. I'm just like, or maybe you just pissed yourself because <laughs> you were too high. <laughs> I've, I mean, I've... you know, and this isn't a case of like viewing something positively versus negatively, <laughs> right? This is more of like a semantic case, right? Yeah. 
if you frame it like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit that I have a problem that I can't help. I just, you know, it was in the middle of Christmas. I was the Jew on Christmas sitting there on the couch with my fuck, go fuck yourself sweater. And uh, the kids were crying because I told them that Santa doesn't exist. And um, <laughs> it was really the parents. Am I the asshole? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, I had about um, maybe eight, you know, eight or nine eggnogs with whiskey and ended up pissing all over myself. <laughs> that doesn't make you look very good. Whereas yeah, but if uh, you say I drank a bunch of eggnogs and whiskey and nutted myself, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it doesn't really make you look good either. <laughs> well, once again, it comes down to gender, right? Yeah. Maybe, right. Maybe, maybe we should avoid these, <laughs> these things when kids are in the room and crying on the floor. <laughs> Definitely. Maybe you shouldn't just spontaneously squirt with little kids. In <laughs> yeah, that's just never gonna look good. You won't be invited back for Christmas. <laughs> like you, might, you know, there are certain job opportunities that close. Like you couldn't be a teacher if no. you squirted yourself when you're around oh, little kids. Fuck, if I got a story. Anyway, fucking. Uh, but I would say though, you know, if it happened once, right, and it was a legit. Um, you busted a legit nut that it could ha from just sitting there, right, and being super high. I I would say that it could probably happen again. And you know what? I I I also get high, so let's figure this out, right? Uh, <laughs> my number is no. <laughs> just you know, uh, what you if, know what? Hit, hit us up. What if this was diarrhea? Ooh. Um. <laughs> well, I mean. I guess if people are into scat, but like, no, uh, I, diarrhea is always the wrong. I once had a st stomach virus, and I think, uh, you know, I, I think I had the same problem. I think I squirted my. <laughs> a little got too, too much of that Pepto Bismol. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that I would just say that diarrhea is always the wrong answer. Uh, always well, the right answer. Well, I mean, depends on what kind of time you're looking to have. No, 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 no. And let's not bring depends into this. <laughs> but they could help. All right. Unless you like the mess. All right. And we've oh, gone off. We've gone yeah, from it's, it's nut to really shit. long episode. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time editing it. So um, you Deal get what that. you get, listeners. Um, yep. But I think we sound better. So I, that, I would agree. The last one sounded a lot better. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's that's it. Um, you know, we should be doing a an episode with a verified uh, witch. I hope she doesn't turn us into frogs or anything. Yes. Um, Hopefully. Although I could I could fuck with some frogs. That's cool. Uh, frogs and then, are cool. And then, um, yeah. And you know, if you have any questions, um, email making it all weird at gmail .com. And other Especially than that, if you're the girl that squirted while high, email us. I need to talk to you about that. <laughs> have at it. Uh, take care. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful week. Bye-bye, everyone.